Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast includes highlights from the 2022 National Religious Broadcasters Convention held in March in Nashville, beginning with a heartwarming look at a mother-daughter relationship that is built on the foundation of Christ. You'll be hearing from Blythe Daniel and her mother, Helen McIntosh, as they explore what makes their relationship strong and underscore the importance of affirming mothers. Also, Julie Lavender has had the opportunity to provide encouragement for parents and sat down with me at the NRB convention to provide insight into making that time at the end of the day, that time known as bedtime, special for kids and their parents. And on this edition of The Intersection, in conversation from the 2022 NRB convention, Mark Meckler of Convention of States identified areas in which the Christian faith is being challenged by the culture. Finally, from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, researcher George Barna provides some vital insight with regard to the degree to which parents possess a Christian worldview and how they are transmitting it to their children. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. At the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Blythe Daniel and her mother Helen McIntosh stopped by to share about how God has worked in and through their relationship. They have recently released their second book together entitled, I Love You, Mom, Cherished Word Gifts from My Heart to Yours, Providing Ways for Daughters to Share Appreciation for Their Mothers. From that NRB conversation, here are Blythe Daniel and Helen McIntosh. What we wanted to do um, was to be able to just offer mom something that she wouldn't be able to buy, uh, that the child would not be able to buy at a store, and it's word gifts. And so every mm. mom needs affirmations and encouragement that they're doing a good job or that they matter and that they're important, that their role as a mom is something that is not overlooked. And so when we started thinking about what do you, what can you buy your mom that she doesn't already have, and it was let's let's give word gifts. And so there are word gifts at the end of each devotional. So there's a scripture to just kind of point to a reference of a topic. There's a scripture and then either a biblical story or a story from just everyday life of being a mom and just kind of remembering some of the things that we've done as moms. And then we end with a word gift such as you are abundant or you are fearless. You are a blessing. There's there's in each one of these devotions, there's just a way to just express how um, that mom aligns with that with that characteristic and so hopefully between scripture and a story and a word gift the mom really sees the role that she plays and how much the person giving her this book how much they care about her mm. and so helen from from a mom being on the receiving end share with us about how you see the importance of these different components oh that's an easy question uh, okay uh, <laughs> i i tell you words can be used to bring life or death, right? Yes. We've all experienced the brokenness that comes with words that were not to be cherished. And so we hope we've provided lots of words that build up. And um, so many times women long to know what to say. And so we hope that we have provided women with some beautiful words that they can give their mother or mother-in-law or friend, I, we hope that they will see that as a gift. 
So Blythe, tell us just a bit with respect, and you mentioned some of the, the topics, and you alluded to this a little bit earlier. I wanted to circle back and, and get you to elaborate just a bit about the importance of the mother-daughter relationship. This is something, obviously, that the two of you have championed and are continuing to do so. In our culture today, why do you think that's important? I really believe it's important for mothers to know how appreciated they are and what what a significant role they have because mothers are the curators of the next generation. They are the ones that are helping shape the lives that are going to be our future leaders for the most part. They're, they're dads that are playing a tremendous role in that as well. But often when it comes to mothers and daughters, we even take on a lot of the genetics of our mother and the characteristics of our mother. And so some of us have had great mothers. Others have had disappointing mother-daughter relationships. And so whether you come from either side of that, it is not too late for you to be the mom that God created you to be. You know, God created moms for a specific purpose, for a specific family. And so maybe Mm, you sometimes wish that you feel like, well, maybe somebody else would be a better mom for my kids. No, God created you to be that mom. And so we just want to encourage moms that this is, you know, this is God's plan for you. And it goes by so quickly. Um, I have have three children and um, in the teen years, and I can just see how quickly time has gone. And I want to make a lasting impression on my kids before they head out in in the working world to know that that I love them. And um, and I hope that this is a book that they would give me, saying, "Mom, these are the things that we feel about you." Blythe Daniel and Helen McIntosh joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio. It is the 2022 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. So Helen Blythe was just talking about something very important about the the calling, the special calling that is upon a mom's life that a mother is called to the family that she is serving. Nice. So how do moms actually how can they really live that out and recognize that calling that they have to that particular family? Thank you, Bob. Well, a great amount of scripture demonstrates that calling and that's what those are the verses that we included in this little gift book and bob it is a gift because our culture is so dark as you as you referenced and it is so there's such an assault against the family and especially uh the role of mothers and fathers it's just tragic so we we wanted to present <laughs> to mothers an encouragement that they are of value, very much of value to God and to their family. So we hope that they get that message when they receive the gift book. Blythe Daniel and Helen McIntosh here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website OurMendedHearts.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's the author of the book, Children's Bible Stories for Bedtime, to Grow in Faith and Love, Julie Lavender, at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2022 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. She discussed ways in which parents can help provide a biblical focus for their children at bedtime. Here now from that conversation, is Julie Lavender. You know, we hear a lot about this uh, screen time, and one of the biggest Mm. things is to remove screen time for at least an hour. And, you know, I'm guilty of that. I'm speaking to me myself as well. I I don't think we realize how much um, screen time, you know, uh, excites the brain. And when we, if we watch 
uh, anything, you know, whether it's YouTube or, uh, you know, whether it's our kids playing a video game or whatever before they go to bed, they're really, they're getting their brain excited and it's hard to, to fall asleep that way. So my, uh, I do have some suggestions in the front of the book. Uh, one of the first is remove all screen time for about an hour. Uh, you know, I suggest get, getting that one last drink of water. You know, that was always my kid's excuse. Oh, I just need a drink of water. <laughs> well, you know, if you go ahead and remind them, let's get your last drink of water right now. Um, and some other things I've suggested are, you know, tidy up your room. You know, distra- a room, a cluttered room can be a distraction to a kid's. Tidy up your room a little bit before you go to bed. Uh, go ahead and line up some things that you know you will need tomorrow if they, if they have baseball tomorrow. Uh, get out the baseball equipment. If they have horseback riding lessons, make sure those things are organized. That helps you fall asleep knowing you're organized because if you if your child climbs into bed thinking and this might be an older child thinking oh my goodness I've forgotten I don't know where my cleats are I'm gonna have to hunt my cleats in the morning well then that gets on their mind and they can't fall Mm. asleep Um, I suggest things like um, you know talk to your parents um, tell your parents make sure you tell parents or caregivers or grandparents good night right before you go to bed and take a few minutes to talk to them about the good things that happened to you that day count your blessings uh, try to give them positive thoughts before they go to bed uh, you know brush teeth take a bath those things but give them those positive thoughts and end with a Bible story hopefully parents mm. and caregivers are reading with the children before they go to bed my book is designed for four to eight year olds in the hope that, that moms and dads will read to them first and they'll fall in love with God's word so much that then they'll want to read those stories themselves. But there's nothing better than sharing those stories together as adult and children before you fall asleep. And of course, end with prayer. Absolutely. So instead of doing the Bible story and then try to get everything ready for bed, you do everything else, all these other activities, and then end with God's word and prayer. That's and what I would like to hope. Now, of course, I want them reading this book anytime. It doesn't have to be bedtime. <laughs> it have to be, However, oh, sorry, you can't read know, this. Sorry, it's not it's bedtime. bedtime. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I just picture parents, grandparents, whomever, snuggled into bed with their kids with this Bible story book right before they fall asleep. And it can almost make me cry when I think about it. I, I've had a few people that have shared um, uh, that they have the book. And, and one is the uh, a homeless shelter in our area. The I'm a f- friends with a director, and she bought a couple of books. Oh, she bought some books to give to each new family that comes in. And I think about them falling asleep, getting into bed together, the mom and the and the child or the dad and the child, reading these stories before they fall asleep, and it just warms my heart so big. Well, as you look at these Bible stories, and there are so many wonderful stories in the Word of God, how did you select the ones that you wanted to put into this book? You know, that was tough for me. I had so much fun writing this book because uh, in working with my publisher, I knew they wanted 52 stories, and they wanted some Old Testament, some New Testament, etc. And so I... Spent just several weeks pouring over God's Word, pulling out uh, some of the resources I had at home, looking over the stories to try to decide which ones I wanted, and we just uh, we we tried to cover the the big ones, the important ones, but we also tried to include some of those lesser known stories. Uh, for example, with the story about Naaman and leprosy, uh, his his issue with leprosy, I tell it a little bit more from the story of the servant girl, the hmm. young uh, his wife Naaman's wife's. Servant girl, who was the one that suggested uh, go see the prophet that I know in Israel, and you know her story, her sending him there, and ultimately we know it was God's sovereignty, but 
her message to him is what sent him there and then he was able to say now I know there is no God but the God of Israel and you know I hope that just points children to the fact of a I can speak boldly about the Lord Mm -hmm. but B I can do great things as a child Julie Lavender here on the intersection she can be found online at julielavenderwrites.com. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. You can also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And there's The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel through which you can find video content relative to the Meeting House program, including recently added content from the 2022 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and more. Continuing now with coverage from the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Mark Meckler, president of Convention of States, highlighted what he regards as some of the threats to free speech, including the free speech of Christians in which certain technology companies are involved. Here now from that conversation is Mark Meckler. God just put me at the right place at the right time. So uh, one of my friends was actually the primary funder of Parler. And when Parler got attacked and deplatformed, they they were shut off by Amazon Web Services and a lot of others. I reached out to my friend who I knew was a funder and said, do you need help? And she said yes. And I never intended to be CEO of Parler. I intended to just help out. Ultimately, I ended up in the CEO seat with the goal of restoring them to an online presence, rebuilding their technology stack because you have to move off of big tech as opposed to being on Amazon where you can be deplatformed and then ultimately helping them to get back on the app store. So it was a fluke. It was God putting me in the right place at the right time to serve people who needed help. Well, what did you learn as far as the extent of censorship by big tech platforms? I learned that it was much worse than I thought, and I wow. think most people don't understand how mm. bad it is. I, you know, just to give you kind of a, a peek behind the curtains, everybody thinks about Parler got shut off. Somebody flipped the switch and shut off their website. That's indeed true. Amazon did that. But there are things that got shut off that people don't understand that you need to have if you have a major platform like that. For example, there's uh, vir- virus protection, what's called DDoS protection, protection against attack. That vendor shut us off. Uh, you have things like credit card processing, that got shut off. You have things, all different kinds of things. Here's a weird one. The customer service software, a company called Zendesk, deplatformed that deplatform them. It was hard to find another customer service software that would help them. They ultimately, when I was there, they were working off of spreadsheets to do customer service because there was nothing automated off the shelf that we were able to use. So what I realized is the entire big tech industry conspires against anybody that speaks against what they believe is, is I would call it a technological theocracy. 
Mm. So if you would, just enlighten us when you talk about this, this theocracy, if you will, and this hostility that seems to be toward people, to be there, toward certain people of faith, certain people that want to get their content to a, you know, to a wide area of the public. So what's the motivation behind it? And what are some of the things, or what are some of the reason, or what is some of the reasoning? this happening you know i think uh you you've probably heard the term wokeism i really do believe him and if you look at the definition of religion they actually have become a religion they are Mm. this provides meaning to their life the idea that they're more woke than the next person that they subscribe to this particular set of ideas they say particular words there's a particular liturgy that's involved in being wokest for lack of a better term and so what it is is everybody pleasing each other everybody doing what they think their crowd the in crowd the the woke theological crowd wants and so these companies all move in lockstep and you see it even outside of the technology industry when i talk to people in big law and as a lawyer i have a lot of friends who've been practicing for a lot of years i'm almost 60 years old i know people who are senior partners at big law firms and by the way a lot of them are conservatives by the way christians like us and they'll say look we won't take on certain kinds of cases we won't take on causes we necessarily believe in because we have a bunch of woke associates that will cause problems. So in a lot of these companies, it's not a business decision. It's not even a management decision. Often it's just a line employee, uh, and uh, there's a whole bunch, the majority of line employees have been raised in this woke environment, and they put pressure on management to do certain things. So give us an idea with respect to this type of environment. There does seem to be a lot, of course, for the younger generation, we would call it peer pressure, but it's certainly in in evidence in these uh, in these various companies as as we hear and there's a mindset among those in big tech and it really is when you talk about wokeism and and that's a, a word that has commonly been used to describe a set of ideas that don't square with the christian worldview model and so when you have this clash of ideas unfortunately those that control these platforms become controlling of the content Yeah, I think that's true, and I think it's incredibly dangerous because one of the things that makes America unique is this idea that we have a marketplace of ideas, right? We can go out there, I can be a conservative Christian, I can speak my mind, I can speak with people who are very liberal leftists and may the best idea win. That's not their Mm. approach. That's still our approach as Christians. Their approach is you have the wrong idea, you're evil, and you have to be shut down. And that actually is just literally totalitarianism. Mark Meckler here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the organization by going to conventionofstates.com. Well, finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's George Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. In our recent conversation, he discussed the extent to which Christian parents of preteens possess a Christian worldview, which can have an impact on their children. Here now from that conversation is George Barna. You know, we asked more than 50 questions about people's beliefs and related behaviors that are things uh, related to developing a worldview. And we find that, yes, only 4% of self-identified Christians actually have a biblical worldview. So what does that mean? It means, first of all, when they make their decisions, they are not making them with the mind of Christ. They're not making them based on the principles of God as delivered to us in the Bible. They're not thinking about 
how can I do the thing that's going to bring the greatest glory and honor and pleasure to the God who created me for his purposes? Instead, what we find happening is that people are thinking primarily about themselves, even those who consider themselves to be Christian, and are more worried about happiness and comfort and achievement and reputation and all of those kinds of things. Now, how is that possible? Because remember, what a worldview does, it's, it's the filter that we have to help, help us to understand and respond to everything that happens around us. So a different way of saying that is every single decision that every person makes is based on their worldview, because it's their worldview that helps them make sense of those opportunities and guides them to make choices that are consistent with what they think is right, who they think they want to be, what they think God or whoever their you know, transcendent being may be has created them for, if they even believe in some kind of a transcendent being. And so when we look at self-identified Christians, what we discover is not only do only 4% of them have a biblical worldview, but as we studied the different worldviews that they could choose as their dominant philosophy of life, what we found is that the one that almost all of them buy into is what we call syncretism, which isn't even a worldview. That's basically a word that means what you're doing is picking and choosing elements Hmm. from many different worldviews, bolting them or blending them together into something that seems right in your own eyes, something that feels good to you, something that you're willing to do, and that becomes your guideline for life. So most of our parents have syncretism as their dominant worldview. And, you know, the bottom line on that, Bob, is that it's important because as parents, you can only give to your children what you possess. What have you found with respect to how well parents are communicating at least some sort of biblical content? Maybe not, since, again, they they don't necessarily possess that b- biblical worldview perspective, but it seems like they could be sharing something. How effective is that uh, being done? Well, here's the difficulty, and it's great. I encourage parents to to share with your children everything that you know about the Bible. Spend more time in the Bible so that you have more knowledge, and you can share that with your child. But here's one of the fascinating things we're, we're finding, is that children often now do not even look to their parents for guidance as they're developing that worldview, as they're trying to fill that vacuum of understanding. And the reason for that is because they're looking, again, for consistency. Hmm. They'll treat their parents as a role model, but what's happening is for years they will listen to their parents, and then they'll watch their parents, and if they see a contradiction between word and deed, that confuses them. That creates what psychologists would call cognitive dissonance within the person. It makes us uncomfortable because we don't understand, we don't get it, we don't like it, we don't want it. And so they tend to say, the children tend to say or think, well, maybe my parents aren't the ones that I should be paying attention to. And this, Bob, is why the media has so much impact on the minds, hearts, and souls of our children. George Barna here on The Intersection. You can find out more online at culturalresearchcenter.com. 
Well, we are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And there's The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also find links to video content. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for coming along with me on this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.